0: Welcome to Crime, Critics, Critics and and Chaos. My name is Shivani, and I'm Shaylin, and And we're we're your hosts. hosts. First and foremost, welcome to our podcast. We are a true crime podcast, and I'm going to have Shaylin
1: here tell us a little bit about how we came about. So Shivani and I um, are actually from Texas, and we met while working in a PR firm together. So honestly, that's where we just hit it off, you know, we decided to start this true crime podcast to bring light to our community with local cases that don't get enough coverage. Uh, Whether that's missing persons or Jane and John Doe's or just uninsolved murders. So with that being said, Shivani actually has a case for us today.
0: I do have a case for you guys today. Um, Our first case is actually a very famous case that occurred in Austin, Texas years ago. This case actually has a lot of coverage, but I wanted to tell the story because this case still remains unsolved. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I start our story, I just wanted to go ahead and give a quick disclaimer. Yes. <laughs> this is our first episode, so please bear with us as we unravel the story. So giving credit where credit is due, the sources I used for our story today is murderpedia.com, truecrimeedition.com, there's a book written by true crime author Corey Mitchell, it's called Murdered Innocence, and a true crime blog on a as well as a very famous podcast that I'm sure you may have heard of. It's called Crime, Crime Junkie. Junkie. <laughs> um, and Shayla and I are huge fans. So Absolutely. Ashley and Britt, if you're hearing this or listening to this, uh, big shout out to you guys. So our story involves four teenage girls in the city of Austin, Texas. This actually occurred on December 6th of 1991. So it's been, what, 20, 21 years yeah, now? Yeah, about 20 years. Um, so, the four teenage girls are Jennifer Harbison, who is 17 years old, and her sister, Sarah Harbison, who is 15 years old. Mm. Uh, Jennifer's friend and co-worker, Eliza Thomas, she's 17, and Sarah's friend, Amy Ayers, who's only 13. 13 years old, wow. Yeah. So, they're pretty young girls. Um, Jennifer and Eliza, they both worked at a yogurt shop called I Can't Believe It's Yogurt, um, that's kind of where they met, I think, I'm not completely sure, but they were working together on the night of the murder. Uh, their shift started around 7 p.m., so it's a pretty late shift, yeah. um, and it was not a long shift. I think they closed around 11, so it was only like a four to five hour shift, yeah. which is really unheard of nowadays. Yeah, I feel even like part-time, then, is part-time
1: yeah. a couple of hours? I don't know. Yeah, part-time, but yeah. even then, that's really late shift for teenagers.
0: Right. I mean, it's probably because they're teenagers that it's a late shift because yeah. of probably school, um... Or mm-hmm. I'm not sure why, but either way, they started their shift at seven. Um, as far as Sarah and Amy, they actually spent their evening at the North Cross Mall, um, which is about a 10 minute walk from the yogurt shop, where mm-hmm. Sarah and Amy spent their evening while the girls completed their shift. Now, the mall closed around um, about 9, 9:30, maybe 10. I'm not 100% sure on that either. The resources didn't really tell me what time the mall closed. Mm-hmm. Um, but around 9:30, p.m., Eliza's mom actually came in to check on the girls um, at the yogurt shop, which is not unusual for the parents to do. Apparently the parents would always stop by and check on the girls just because I guess they were young and they just wanted to make sure they were okay. Um, But Eliza's mom came around 9.30 and she got some yogurt, made sure the girls were okay, and they seemed to be doing fine so she left. Which is
1: very logical, you know.
0: Good for the girls because I don't think I've ever had my parents ever come check on me to make sure I was okay during any of my jobs that
1: I've ever had. (laughs) No, (laughs) I can't recall either, honestly.
0: (laughs) Um, But Sarah and Amy... What went ahead and completed their shopping trip at the mall and then they walked over to the yogurt shop Jennifer Eliza Sarah and Amy all had plans for a sleepover that night after they were done with their shift mm-hmm. Um, so the girls were just kind of walking over there waiting for their shift to be completed so that they could all go home together and spend the night together Okay When Sarah and Amy got to the yogurt shop, they actually stayed in the back just because they weren't employees, um, so they didn't wanna be in the front. I'm pretty sure that they were not allowed to be in the front, so they just kind of stayed in the back and ate some pizza together and just kind of hung out um, while Jennifer and Eliza closed out the store. Mm -hmm. So Jennifer started cleaning out the lobby in the front while Eliza stayed behind the register to check out the last couple of customers um, that were kind of checking out and cleaning the back up a little bit. Uh, so we know that Eliza's register number was the last one used to check out those last customers because that was the last register number that was still um, pending on the register. Okay. So that's how we know that she was the one that was behind mm-hmm. the, the counter and that Jennifer was the one that was actually cleaning up the lobby. Okay. Um, so a woman walks in to get some yogurt and she noticed two men sitting at a table next to each other which is weird because mm-hmm. i don't know and i've always thought that this was weird when two people sit next to each other like in a booth yeah um and i know like I mean it's probably common and if you do this you know no no yeah. <laughs> no offense to you I'm good for you do what makes you happy uh, but I've always just thought it was super weird when two people even if you're a couple or whether you're just yeah. friends but when you sit next to each other rather than sitting in front of each other I've it always is weird it was, to me
1: yeah just, that's just to me it's weird but you know it's <laughs> <laughs> for sure
0: <laughs> um so yeah she noticed two men sitting next to each other the woman stated that she felt like something was off and she wanted to kind of ask the girls if they were okay Mm -hmm. but the girls seemed fine um and they were laughing and chit-chatting and she just kind of convinced herself that she was paranoid and just left the store after getting her yogurt a little earlier during the evening so before this woman had came in um, an ex-cop walked into the shop to get some yogurt where he came across an unusual man that matches the description uh to one of the two men that the lady that came in a little bit after that we just talked about Um, Described, But this cop stated that the man was extra fishy since he kept letting everyone in front of him The man was just very unsure of what he wanted to order Mm -hmm. Um, But when the ex-cop comes in the line, the man lets him get in front of him But the ex-cop refuses and tells him, you go ahead Um, So the unusual man goes ahead and orders and you would not believe what he ordered What did he order?
1: It wasn't yogurt, girl. He only ordered soda that's it? He could have went to the literally the convenience store for that.
0: <laughs> right? And I think that's what made him very fishy was because who goes to a yogurt shop and only orders soda?
1: Hmm.
0: Like, you can go to a gas station and just get soda. Clue number one. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, he orders a soda, and he walks all the way to the back of the store. Um, so, it's important to note that where the back of the store is, there's actually restrooms. So, if a customer goes all the way back there, I guess it's not too weird because they could just be using the restroom yeah um but there are a couple of sources that say that the reason why he probably went back there if he is the killer um was to unlock the back door so that they had like an entryway to enter through after Mm. the store closed and just to notate the reason why i'm saying they is because um it's very likely that there's more than one killer involved in this and then as the story kind of unfolds you'll see why i say that Mm. So fast forward um, to after that first woman that we talked about, after she leaves, um, a couple walks in and notices the same two men that the first lady noticed. Um, but we're unsure if those are the same two men. We just know that they both saw two men. Um, it just We just are unsure if they were both the same men or not. Um, but they're also sitting in a booth next to each other hmm. um, at a cash register that's the furthest from the front door. Um, which That's is weird. It is weird. So I'm not sure if, if like they were the same two men that the first lady saw, if yeah. they were sitting in that same seat or not. Um, or maybe they moved seats if it is the same men. But either way, they were kind of clo- close to the cash register. That's very interesting. It is. So the couple get some yogurt, and they sit down to eat rather than taking it to go. And they notice that the two men were not eating any yogurt that were in that booth. Um, so I don't know if it's the same, you know, two men, but if it is, I'm guessing they're still sipping on that one soda. Yeah.
1: So I was going to ask, was that, was one of the men, one of the ones that were drinking the soda or? We don't know. Okay. So I
0: guess they didn't, I guess when you're, when you go to, uh, you know, any public place, you notice people, but I don't think that everyone really pays attention to exactly what they look like or what they're wearing. Um, so I think when they questioned the witnesses after the incident happened, um, I don't think that they could remember exactly what they were wearing or what yeah, they looked course. like. They just remember like the, that there was people there yeah, that exactly. were sitting in that area, but didn't really notice if it was the same person or what they were wearing to match the description. If it was the same person that they all saw.
1: Yeah. It's not, that's not out of the ordinary either. Cause I wouldn't be paying attention to things like that. Me if neither. If <laughs> anything was going to happen, you know, I'm
0: very oblivious. <laughs> like I will have something happen right in front of me and I will still not be able to like, <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> you know, like reconcile what yeah. just happened. Um, but couple leaves around 10:47 p.m. Now the policy for the store was to lock down um, from the inside at least by 10:50 p.m. to prevent any new customers from coming but yet also give the customers that were still inside an outlet to get out. We know that the girls did lock the door from the inside that night because um, after the incident was over and the investigators were at the scene, they actually found a key that was in the lock of the lobby door. Mm. Um, So I think they were just waiting for the shop to completely close down and for them to leave so that they could take the key out and be officially closed So speaking of investigators um, another key note um, Is that when the investigators showed up to the scene? They also found that all of the chairs were propped up on the tables except for one chair And this one chair was the one that was actually on the end of that booth where the two men were sitting that the past witnesses had described Mm -hmm why this seems very unusual to me um, or something that I kind of just determined is that because that one chair was not propped up on the booth I think that the two men were probably still in the store when the crime occurred because very good observation. If, yeah if they weren't then that chair probably would have been propped up
1: Yeah, that only makes sense
0: the couple said that they left at 10:47 p.m. and everything that happened after 10:47 p.m. is unknown but whatever did happen, did happen at 11.03 p.m. And the reason why we know that is because at 11.03 p.m. is when Eliza hit the no charge cell button on her register, causing the door of that register to open. Um, now, what resources say is that they think that that's kind of when the killers kind of came in. Um, and what they first tried to do was attempt a robbery. Mm-hmm. So they that tried to you know, probably get money from the register first. Um, And another thing to know is that the killers were said to have taken at least $500 from the register that night. Around 11.48 p.m., an officer dispatched a call to the fire department regarding a fire he saw coming from the yogurt shop. So that's about an hour after the couple left the store. Um, The officers and firefighters did not have any idea of foul play originally. So their goal was to just get to the shop and put out a fire. they, I don't think they, they realized that they were going to come across a murder scene at all. So their goal was to put out the fire and salvage the shop as best as they could. This means that when the firefighters went in, they did not take any precaution to preserve anything from the fire. So they were just kind of going in, putting out the fire, not really taking into consideration of saving anything, salvaging anything, or, you know, making note of anything yeah. because they didn't realize what they were walking into. Okay. So let me just go back a little bit. How did they even notice this fire? Um, so I think a patrol officer was just kind of going through the area and he noticed smoke um, uh-huh. and so he called in the the fire to the okay. shop. Okay. sources really specified that anyone had actually called the police station to notify them of the fire, so I'm just assuming that a police officer himself kind of came across the fire. Okay. As the firefighters were making their way in the building to put out the fire, one of the firefighters noticed a charred foot. Ooh. So as this firefighter got closer, he noticed a second body and then a third body. Oh, my God. The three bodies that were found were found completely naked in the back of the store. Some of the sources actually state that the bodies were stacked on top of each other and may have been where the fire
1: originated. Like, imagine that sight. Yeah. That's horrific. It is.
0: It's, I can't even imagine like ever seeing that let alone doing that especially with teenagers it is it's inhumane literally inhumane the way that the bodies were found by homicide detectives were described as sarah laying down on the floor by the back door eliza was laid on top of sarah and next to the two bodies was jennifer so as investigators made their way through the building they found a fourth body 13 year old amy ayers was found furthest away from the girls She was found more towards the entrance leading to the front of the store. Um, It's also important to note that she was actually found positioned with her legs wide open. There are several different theories regarding the positioning of Jennifer's body. Jennifer could have been left in the manner that they found her in on purpose or maybe the velocity of the water coming in from the firefighters could have knocked Jennifer off the stack of the bodies or maybe Jennifer was still alive Um, And she was kind of moving around, which caused her to be knocked off the bodies.
1: Mm, That could kind of be hard to determine, though.
0: Yeah. Um, I think the reason why the investigators think that maybe it's because of the velocity of the water is because Mm -hmm. when they were putting it out, they felt like maybe they kind of hit the girls' bodies without realizing that they did, and Mm -hmm. the velocity of the water going into the building could have knocked her off. Okay. So that's why they think that that's a possible theory. And just to describe how charred the bodies were, Sarah, who was at the bottom of the stack of bodies, right, Mm -hmm. she was described as having her body like melted to the floor. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's probably also another reason why they think that the fire originated on the girls um, rather than anywhere else because of how charred the bodies were. As far as Amy, there was no question as to the positioning of her body. Her body was found to be the least burnt because, of course, it was the furthest away from all of the other bodies, Um, and Amy was also positioned on her stomach, like on her side, I guess, Mm -hmm. towards her stomach, Um, and of course, like I said earlier, her legs were spread wide open and she was also deemed as recognizable while the others were deemed as unrecognizable. Mm -hmm. The lead investigator on the case, Detective Jones, did have doubt that Amy could have been sexually assaulted since there was an ice cream scooper found propped up towards her pelvis in between her legs. Some of the evidence already being contaminated and lost due to the firefighters, Detective Jones did perform rape kits on the scene um, before sending the girls to autopsy. Okay. So they typically don't do that. They do rape kits like the ME does the rape kits when they get sent to um Autopsy, Mm -hmm. but he knew that the fire had already kind of diminished a lot of the evidence that were at the scene So he requested to have a rape kit done like right then and there at the scene Mm. All four girls were shot in the head by a 22 caliber gun But Amy was shot twice by two different guns And this is one of the reasons why I think that more than one men or man rather was involved because two guns were used I mean, I just don't see one man carrying two guns. Yeah Shooting twice with two different guns from two different hands. And that
1: all sounds really personal, too. It
0: does. And I guess also, I mean, no matter how strong one man can be, he was against four girls. So I'm sure that there has to be more than one man in order to control four girls. Mm -hmm. After a week into the investigation, there were over 350 suspects that the investigators had to narrow down from. But one suspect seemed more plausible than the rest. That sounded like the whole town. (laughs) <laughs> right? But well, I guess back then, I mean, I know it's 1991, but Austin was pretty small then compared to now, but yeah. I'm pretty sure it wasn't as small as right. 350, and I think that's why the pool was so big, was because of how big the city is. But
1: that's a large
0: number yeah. of people. Yeah, and actually, it's interesting that you say that, because it was actually said that a lot of suspects actually came forward themselves. Like, they were like, oh, we have information, or we didn't. You know, like, the uh, attention-seeking...
1: That was off uh, the investigation a lot. <laughs>
0: yeah, it does. Like, fake uh, fake, false confessions, yep. I guess.
1: False confessions.
0: 16-year-old Maurice Pierce was found with a twenty two caliber gun in his possession at the time of his arrest. When he was questioned, Maurice stated that he actually lended the gun to his 15-year-old friend, Forrest Wellborn. Hmm. Now this is kind of I mean you'll kind of see as the story progresses but to me a 15 and 16 year old boy is not um capable I guess I want to say of committing this crime because they're so young and the way that this crime was committed was very thoroughly
1: yeah
0: um and another thing to note that's been bothering me for the longest time is that it didn't take this long to commit the crime. Like, it, they literally did right. all of this within a span of, like, 45 minutes. That's crazy. That is insane. They did all oh, of it. The like, kids. they... Yeah. They yeah, beat no. the woman... Or not the woman, but they beat the girls, and then they raped them, and then they positioned them, and then they mm-hmm. set them on fire. Like, it... Takes time or at least yeah. maybe that's my perfectionist side because if I was a killer I'd be like, do I want her positioned this way? Right. Or do I wanna like leave her here? Or do I wanna drag her here? Like
1: I don't think a sixteen or fifteen year old have the mental capacity to do that.
0: Exactly. That that's exactly what Not I'm trying at to say. All.
1: And I'm glad that you brought that up because honestly, listening to this all the details, I was getting like the instinct it was adults. Exactly. But when you said it was 15 and 16-year-old, it kind of made me step back and like, okay, this could be possibility that teenagers did this to other teenagers. Yeah. But, you know, d- digging deeper into it, you know, there's no way. There's no way that young of individual will be able to...
0: That's true. I actually didn't even think about that. Like the fact that it's a teenager committing this mm-hmm. with another teenager um, right. on another teenager. Um, I guess to, in my head, I just kept thinking of it as teenagers committing this right. crime as an adult rather right. than a teenager committing this on a teenager, which mm-hmm. I guess, I mean, I guess you could see like a 10-year-old murdering another 10-year-old right. or you could see like a 17-year-old murdering another 17-year-old, it but it's really time. hard to kind of determine... Um, or to have a seventeen-year-old kill like a thirty-five-year-old, you know, that's yeah. very rare. At least in my opinion, it may be. I may be wrong. I mean, I'm sure seventeen-year-olds are, are able to I, yeah. do a lot of more things oh, yeah, than what definitely. I think that they can, especially
1: nowadays, for sure. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean That that's for sure. I guess, but in 1991, like. I don't know, I guess I just thought that kids had more of an innocent mind rather than, you Not know. Not
1: necessarily. That's true. <laughs> you know, honestly, it also could go either or. Yeah. That's the mystery behind it. Yep, you're right.
0: So, Forrest stated that he had nothing to do with the murders and that him and Maurice had actually driven to San Antonio with two other friends that night. Um, also, another important thing to note is that when that twenty two caliber that was found with maurice when that was tested, the ballistics did not match to the guns that were used on the girls um that night at the scene
1: okay for the two boys were scratched off their long list of suspects so three fifty six minus two three fifty four <laughs> basically, so you still have a wide variety of. Suspects. Yeah, and
0: I'm not sure how much they investigated as far as, you know, other suspects. I'm sure they investigated a lot, but um, eventually an M.O. was created for the killer or killers to help identify who they could possibly be to the public. Mm -hmm. The M.O. that was created um, was said to have been at least two men, if not more, which, of course, you and I just discussed. Mm -hmm. Um, They are said to be white in their late teens to mid-20s. So kind of the same yeah. age frame that we were talking about. Not but too off. Not too off, yeah. yeah. Um, out of the two men, one is dominant over the other. So the dominant perpetrator is most likely who initiated the crime and is impulsive and likely to get into physical altercations. Makes very, yeah, make... He was most likely a frequent visitor of the yogurt shop, uh, may have a criminal record, he's abusive, and has minimal to no remorse for what happened.
1: That's you think. That's very hard, like very descriptive. Yeah, completely very specific.
0: Very, very specific. Um but the thing is is out of all the physical things that the MO described, it's actually very common. I mean, you True. could see a, there's tons of people out there, especially in a big city like Austin, that are that you'll see is, you know, impulsive and um, you know anger issues and things like that like that's very yeah. common in certain people So even with the mo it was very hard to kind of narrow down the list of suspects Yeah, not as you put it that way. You're right. Yeah, you're right, but it makes sense I mean to me the mo made complete sense like I if I would have imagined the killer if I could have kind of drawn like a picture and like had to Describe the killer myself without knowing who the killer is I would have described it that exact way as well. So investigator jones the original lead investigator on the case suffered from severe ptsd because of this case and Could he win. exactly i mean especially coming to a scene and seeing the bodies like i'm sure the firefighters probably had like nightmares yeah, as well to this day probably there's you know some of them still alive right course, but right yeah, i agree um he actually had to take a whole month off just to kind of i don't want to say recover because i don't think that there's a way to recover from no, something like this but all. just to kind of get his head back on strong.
1: And even even then, you, you can't get your mind back on track after seeing that. I agree. Not to children. I agree. Jones
0: stated that there was a group of investigators assigned to the case for almost a month before everyone started to get pulled off. Um, so I guess, you know, the case itself started getting cold and yeah. because they were not coming across any more suspects or any the leads needs, rather, um, they just started to get pulled off one by one. So after three years, Jones himself got pulled off the case and got promoted to another position. Mm. So fast forwarding in 1999, so eight years later. Eight years. Eight years later, a new lead investigator was assigned to the case. And his name is Hector Polanco. You're gonna hear Polanco's name a lot throughout the rest of the story. Okay. After studying the entire case, Polanco kept coming back to the same suspects over and over again. The same two boys that were in possession of the 22 caliber gun, maurice pierce and Forrest wellborn
1: even after they ruled them out yes
0: even after the ballistics report didn't match
1: <laughs> what <laughs> was
0: the time and exactly and to me i was like what made you keep coming back to them yeah because was it the 22 caliber because i mean the reports didn't match right um and there are tons of 22 calibers out there it's exactly. a common gun to have so what exactly made him want to keep coming back to those two boys i have no idea. Sounds like
1: they have details that of course we don't know. Probably, yeah. That's why I kept going back to it. Probably.
0: Polanco was so dead set on the two boys having something to do with the murders that he was willing to do anything and everything to prove it. So, he brought the two boys in again for interrogation, and this time he interrogated them for a longer amount of time and in a more manipulative manner.
1: I mean, I kind of get it, but at the same time, what was the reason behind it
0: yeah i you know have no idea and i think you'll see that it may be that fact that he really just wants an answer yeah. to the case and he's just wanting to make an answer up that best just suits what he wants it to be rather than right. actually trying to find the real answer of what happened
1: well honestly at this point what it sounds like being that eight years has passed sounds like mm-hmm. he wanted to just go back to the beginning have a fresh start no fresh look at the case. Yeah,
0: no, that makes sense. And and if that's what he was doing, like that, that's completely like I, I understand that part. Um, I guess what got to me is the fact that he was interrogating them in a more manipulative manner. And what I mean by that is he was kind of interrogating them in a way to suit the answers he was looking for, rather yeah. than actually believing the answers that they were giving. And that's him. not the
1: way to do that.
0: No, no. So for example, like if he asked. Um, you know what were you doing at the night of the murder and of course they had already told us in their, or told the investigators rather um, in the original statement that they were on their way to San Antonio with two other friends Mm -hmm. Um, and if that's not what Polanco wanted to hear he would be like no 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 no, you were not going to San Antonio you were near the yogurt shop weren't you Mm -hmm. so kind of leading question yes he was leading uh, to the questions that or not questions but he was leading to an answer that he wanted to hear So both Maurice and Forrest were very adamant about the fact that they had nothing to do with the killings. So at this point Polanco calls in the two boys that they supposedly went to San Antonio with. So those two men or boys at the time are identified as Michael Scott and Robert Springsteen. They were both 17 at the time of the murder and also stated that they had nothing to do with the killing. When Polanco questioned Scott and Springsteen they as, uh, as adamant as they were about having nothing to do with the killing when he interrogated them in a more manipulative manner the same way he did with maurice and Forrest, um scott and springsteen did not hold up their story
1: as mm-hmm. well as the other two boys did so they kind of recanted a little bit yes right.
0: mm, Very. so scott stated that he didn't have a clear memory from that night because of course keep in mind this is 8 years later so they're both 26 now um, and of course this happened when they were 17 so he claimed that he did not have a clear memory from that night which Polanco took to his advantage Mm. Um, after interrogating the two boys for hours Michael Scott finally admits that him and his friends staked out the yogurt shop before deciding to commit the crime
1: well in their defense honestly who can just remember what they did eight years ago
0: especially if they didn't commit the crime right like if they committed it they're gonna be like oh yeah sure let me just make up something right and if anything they would have been like oh I was doing this exactly at this day at this time because they need an alibi but if they didn't do it they're literally gonna be like if I didn't do it and I know I didn't do it I can't even tell you what I was doing at that time exactly Michael originally states that he stayed outside to guard the building while both Maurice and Robert went inside to rape and kill the four girls. After a few more hours of interrogation, Michael now places himself inside the shop only holding the gun but never pulling the trigger. So you can see that he's changing his story every so often so in the beginning he was like oh no i had nothing to do with it and then he was like okay fine like we did do it but i was not inside i didn't do anything i was just stayed like i just stayed outside staking the or not rather staking but more of securing yeah. the Mind-wise. the building and then now he's like okay fine i was inside but i didn't do anything all i did was just hold the gun he didn't even
1: That still Uh, makes you an accomplice. (laughs) Right.
0: But even being an accomplice, you still, I guess, get sentenced shorter than actually being the killer. So I guess that's what was Mm -hmm. on his mind. I'm not 100% sure. But um, it is important to note that Michael did state that he may want an attorney, but the detectives ignored that comment and continued with interrogation because Michael never formally asked for an attorney.
1: What?
0: So I guess he was like... I think the from the way that you guys are asking me questions I may need an attorney it's oh, kind so of like, like in that manner yeah but he didn't say he didn't really demand like okay that's it like I want an attorney now it was more of like a comment made rather than like a okay. demand after seven hours of severe interrogation Michael admits to firing the gun but only to Robert's command so now he's basically changing his story again mm-hmm
1: okay so he went from stating that he was just basically keeping watch now he's saying that he pulled the trigger but he wasn't the mastermind behind it correct like he's saying like
0: i was still an accomplice like even though i pulled the trigger i wasn't the one who wanted to pull the trigger i was told to pull the trigger
1: so were you told or were you demanded or were you forced
0: I, I I don't think that he really states in what manner he was told. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, if he was there, I'm assuming he was willingly there. I don't know if – I don't think that Forrest, like mm. – not Forrest, I'm sorry. Robert, was it? Yeah, Robert. Robert. I don't think that Robert was, like, holding him hostage to be there, if that makes sense. So, even though he's making it sound like, oh, my gosh, he forced me to do this. Mm-hmm. He really wasn't forced. Exactly. He was just, you know, listening to the command of someone that – He was with so he chose to listen to that command he didn't you know he wasn't forced to listen to that command he was he chose to listen to that command
1: okay so that at that point makes you suspect number two
0: right polanco and his team kept pressing michael for more details details that could incriminate the boys even more to the crime details that only the killer would know when michael's version of the story did not match what happened Polanco would keep pursuing different answers from Michael until he was able to use his story as a complete confession. Even though Polanco was not flat out telling Michael what to say exactly, like you had said earlier, Shaylin, he was basically guiding Michael on what he wanted to hear. Mm. So after 20 long hours, so from seven, we're now at 20. (laughs) After 20 long hours, (laughs) Polanco was finally satisfied with a confession that he could use to arrest Michael Scott but he was still not done. They later pulled Robert into questioning and started using the same tactics that they used on Michael on Robert. Wow. So Robert started off very similar to Michael um, in his interrogation. He swore up and down that he had nothing to do with it. Um, And then after a little while, he also started to break down. At the end of the interrogation, Robert ended up confessing to killing and raping some of the girls himself. So now we have two full confessions from the four boys in total.
1: Mm.
0: Polanco pulls together his theory. His theory is that Maurice Pierce was the mastermind of the plan, Michael Scott and Robert Springsteen carried out the plan, and Forrest was the guard outside of the yogurt shop building. Because as you remember, like, mm-hmm. when Michael and Robert were telling their confessions, they really didn't have Forrest in their story at all. Okay. Um, So I think that that's why they kind of theorized that Forrest was the one that was really guarding the building. Mm. Um, And I'm not really sure what made them think that Maurice Pierce was the mastermind because they didn't really have evidence to prove that he was in the building um, doing anything as far as like raping the girls, um, killing the girls, pulling the trigger, or even setting the building on fire investigator jones the first investigator on the case did not believe this theory at all but he was no longer on the case and had no say on what could determine this case at all
1: so yeah of course being that he's completely off the case he yeah
0: yeah they wouldn't i mean i don't think he really had the authority to be like no we should look at this a little bit more or of course you know Yeah. yeah polanco eventually took the confession to the prosecutor Only two of the boys, now men, were taken to trial, Michael and Robert. Maurice and Forrest were never tried, since the two never really confessed to being involved in any way. And they also didn't have any physical evidence other than the two confessions from Michael and Robert.
1: Mm. Makes sense.
0: So, the confessions were the only things that allowed the DA to prosecute this case, since there was, again, like I said, absolutely no physical evidence. Michael and Robert did recant their confessions, but it was too late especially since the confessions was the sole evidence that the prosecutor had to convict both of them. Certain parts of Michael and Robert's story did not match each other's. So, for example, like what they used to tie the girls, Mm. um, one would say one thing and the other man would say another. And it wouldn't really match what they said to each other's. But they made it match to where it matched their theory or what they wanted to hear as far as what they found at the scene that was used to tie the girls. Mm. So, if... You know, for example, they didn't really, you know, make this public. But let's just say that a rope was tied Mm -hmm. to um, or a rope was used to tie the girls. um, And let's just say that Michael had said that he used like a shirt and then Robert had said like a cord. Well, they would make them kind of or manipulate them in a way to say a rope rather than. Yeah. The most questionable key point was how the fire started. Many of the original reports stated that the fire was started on a shelf near the girls. However, Michael and Robert reported that they covered the girls with accelerant before lighting them on fire. The original firefighters stated that they did not smell any accelerant when arriving at the scene. However, during trial, experts were called in and the ruling on where the fire originated changed from the shelves to where the girls were stacked. So finally, in 2001, the jury convicted Robert to death and Michael to life in prison. Both men tried very hard to appeal their convictions, especially because Michael and Robert's confessions were used in each other's trial rather than them testifying in court in person, and therefore both men were not able to confront their accuser. So Mm -hmm. basically what they did is, let's just say, like, during Robert's trial, they played michael's confession tape and then in michael's trial they played robert's confession tape but the actual men themselves were not at each other's trial to kind of yeah so when the defense would you know um i guess Uh cross-examine the the witness or like the 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 defendant in this case they were not able to do that they were not able to cross-examine the witness Mm -hmm. because uh, they didn't have them at each other's trial I and mean, the reason why they did that was probably because if they did have them like in person, then when they cross-examined the witness, um, they could have easily been like, "Well, we said that that's what happened, but we were forced to say that because we yep. were in interrogation for so long." Mm-hmm. So Polanco, or well, I'm not—I don't really want to say Polanco himself—but the prosecutors' team themselves altogether mm-hmm. made it to where they wouldn't have both men at each other's trial, and for that reason, yeah. In 2006, an appeal was granted for both Michael and Robert, but it took the prosecutors a while before finally deciding to retry the case. Um, So while the prosecutors were trying to decide if they wanted to retry the case or if they just wanted to let it go, um, both Michael and Robert remained in prison. In two thousand eight, the defense council took another approach and asked for the evidence to be retested using the new DNA technology that was now available. So keep in mind, of course, between nineteen ninety-nine to two thousand eight, so much has happened yep. in the, you know, in the forensic world that we now have so much or so many different resources so to many advances. Yeah. Which was weird to me because you know how they first said, like, oh, we had no physical evidence. Well, I guess what they meant was that they had physical evidence, they just didn't have enough to kind yeah. of figure out, you know, didn't they have to build a profile. Right, yeah. right. Um, and I think this was a really smart move for the defense to make because now that it is 2008, you know, mm-hmm. n- having that new DNA tested would kind of um, give light or shine light, rather, to what actually happened. Yeah. And something else to note is that if the defense, and keep in mind, you know, when a defense attorney is you know, defending the defendant, <laughs> um, I mean, whether they are guilty or not, the defense or the defense attorney's job is to defend their client. Right. right? Absolutely. So if it kind of hurts their case, they're not going to suggest it or do it. Right. Exactly. So for them to say, Hey, no, we're, we have evidence. Let's retest it now that we're able to do so. Mm-hmm. They know that nothing beats Physical evidence. Exactly. And so if they're going as far along to say, hey, let's retest it so we can actually see what the DNA looks like, it must mean that they believe that their clients are
1: innocent. Exactly. Uh, You took the thoughts right out of my head, Shivani. Wow. (laughs) After testing the DNA, there was an
0: unknown male sample that was found in the rape kit that did not match anyone connected to the case in any way. Mm. This was exactly what the defense was looking for to hopefully acquit their clients.
1: Oh, uh, see? <laughs> you see? So that new DNA, just to you know clarify, it didn't match Michael. Nope. None
0: of them. It didn't match Michael, Maurice, Robert, or Forrest. There you go. So, but get this, though. Instead of looking for new suspects, the investigators still used their original theory, but this time they were like, okay, well, now that there's DNA and it doesn't match the four men, we think that there's a fifth man involved with them. How? (laughs) Girl, you tell me, because I don't know.
1: (laughs) Like, you're really, at this point, you're stretching it. Yeah, yeah. This this is is a reach.
0: That's exactly what they were doing. They They were stretching it. For sure.
1: Literally reaching.
0: (laughs) Tying them to the scene um, or the crime itself. But if not, then they're free men. Yeah. Um, So as the years went on, there was a second unknown male sample that was found on other items that were recovered from the scene. But um, of course, they they've tested the DNA, but they've and they've also probably looked to see if the DNA matches anything or anyone rather on their, their database. database. Mm-hmm. But they um, I'm assuming they haven't found anything because if they did, then they probably would have made an arrest by now. Um, wow. But
1: that yeah. makes you wonder even more, like what in the world?
0: Right, because in their database, there's so right. many. Like their database is filled with minor crimes yep. all the way to like the mm-hmm. most heinous crime we can think of. So. It's crazy to think that this person could, or did commit this crime, but possibly probably like didn't commit anything after that. Right. It's hard to believe. Right? Like if you're going to commit something that crazy, you're not going to do small things afterwards. Like, Mm -hmm. is that high not going to stay up with you or? Right.
1: It just seemed like this crime was committed so thoroughly to me. That it seemed like he was like going to
0: strike again if he hasn't struck before this crime was committed already.
1: This is odd.
0: Yep. So that's her story. I mean, that's where we are today. Uh, we have no arrests that have been made. Um, there have been no one tied to this crime as of now. So it's still open, um, even this many years later.
1: No new suspects. No new suspects no new that we DNA. know of.
0: Nope. Just the two that we know of. This so so
1: frustrating. It is. And I
0: guess to me is, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm very much for back the blue. Yeah. But to me, this was not the kind of justice that we look
1: for in our nation not at all this this definitely was pretty much botched
0: it's almost like they wasted their time yes. or at least like Polanco and his team wasted their time yeah because not only did they waste their time though they also almost kind of ruined the like lives of Robert and Michael i mean right. they, they spent majority well i don't probably not majority but they spent a few years in jail that they could have spent living their lives right um I agree I agree so Shailen I'm actually curious about your opinion um do you think that the girls were targeted in any kind of way or what are your thoughts on that
1: honestly I really do believe that the girls were targeted especially in regards to Amy and Sarah I think that that's what we need to go back and look into um, from the time that they were at the mall to the time they walked to the, to the yoga shop, yes, it's
0: actually interesting that you say that because, you know, you you believe that Sarah and Amy were targeted, and I personally believe that Jennifer and Eliza were targeted, sure. um, and I and I actually like your theory because that could that's definitely a possibility. Um, the reason why I think that Eliza and Jennifer were targeted is because it seemed like the killers that committed this crime actually were familiar with the yogurt shop in general. So I've kind of assumed that they probably visited the yogurt shop often, Mm -hmm. kind of like what was in the MO. Mm -hmm. And they probably you know, recognized, or not recognized, but they kind of had their eyes um, on Eliza and Jennifer, or at least one of the girls. And I think that that's kind of where the idea started coming about. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I just feel like Sarah and Amy were just two bystanders that were you know that were unfortunately killed in the in the wreck or not in the wreck but in the killing um along with jennifer and eliza that that's that's i don't think the killers like kind of had an idea that sarah and amy were going to also be in there i think they were just like two extra kills but again this is just speculation
1: so you you're saying that you do feel like that the main targets were the other two
0: were eliza and jennifer i mean and you're right i mean it could be sarah and amy it could you know somebody could have you know, watch them walk from the mall to the yogurt shop and, right. you know, and I mean, there weren't too many witnesses. And of course, if there were witnesses, like they're not paying attention to their whereabouts because who does that? You know, I mean, the, people pay attention to, to their whereabouts when it comes to them actually needing to notice something. But if they are in no need to notice what's going around around them, they're not going to actually... know be able to recall exactly all of that information and another thing that bothers me is i mean i know it's 1991 this may be like a dumb speculation or a dumb question but were there not security cameras back then
1: like that's a good question because i was thinking about that you know early on like Uh, were there any surveillance footage anywhere even on the other buildings because i know right in a plaza type of area exactly it
0: was and i mean like exactly what you're saying like even if there was no security footage on or a camera on the actual or in the actual yogurt shop there should have been something at least in the like strip mall like the strip that the yogurt shop was located in or even like roads that were like by there because I mean I get that's probably a large pool of people as well but I mean they already had 350 suspects anyway so
1: (laughs) um so do you think that this was premeditated?
0: Uh, yes I do I do think it was premeditated I don't think anyone and I mean if if it wasn't premeditated and they decided to do that last minute kudos to you for able to for being able to do all of that in less than 45 minutes right and not even have it planned I don't that's crazy but then again it's like the things that they did uh, it doesn't sound like it's something that you would plan I mean again um, it's just my opinions but yeah. d- do you actually sit there and plan with someone by the way because obviously there's more than one person right so right. do you sit here with another person and say hey okay so we're gonna do this this and this you're gonna do
1: this part while I do this part right you know it's it, that's I crazy think that it's, to believe it seems too far-fetched yeah it does so do you think that Alaza and Jennifer knew the perpetrators personally or vice versa
0: I don't I don't think that the perpetrators actually knew the girls personally. Um, I think that they probably just kind of noticed them at the shop and, and um, decided, hey, let's, well, <laughs> I don't want to say, hey, let's just do this. I don't know yeah. if that's kind of how it happened, but I do think that they were probably infatuated in some type of way with either one of the girls or both, and that's kind of what triggered this entire yeah. incident itself.
1: It definitely does, like a karma passion
0: it does yeah that's actually the perfect way to explain it it would it's probably a crime of passion um and i don't know if if it's a crime of passion against one of the girls specifically or just all teenage girls because amy was the one that was kind of i guess the worst one in a way because she i mean of course she wasn't burnt as badly as the other girls but she was the one that was set aside and yeah. more different than how the other girls murders
1: took place and so that is very interesting that's something to look at too mm-hmm. that, so maybe it was know, amy you know
0: it could sense. be amy that was um right merely targeted yeah it so. could
1: be the fact that amy was the target and then they you know like okay these other girls are here we're gonna have to yeah
0: you know get, get, rid, get rid of rid the of evidence them. yep um, yeah so th- these are we all interesting know. points yeah. uh, we're very interested to hear what you guys have to say
1: absolutely
0: um, so this is our first episode like we stated in the beginning mm-hmm. so if you've reached this point of our podcast and of our episode then I'm just <laughs> honestly assuming that you're a family member of ours <laughs> or a friend <laughs> but if you're not and you're actually someone listening to this um, who doesn't know us personally we just want to thank you thank for you. getting this far and listening thank you so much um please leave us a review because that would help us um as far as you know being known and Mm -hmm. and getting more views um do you have anything else to say shaman
1: all i have to say is thank you for listening and be on the lookout for the next episode we have some great stories um,
0: yeah we do we have some great stories lined up to tell you guys um So, yeah, leave us a review and share. Please, please, please share.
1: Subscribe.
0: (laughs) Um, And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.